Well, hello. Welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are doing our third live show at The Famous Group. And we are going to be talking about commercial directing and hopefully kind of give you all the secrets of how to become like a rich commercial director. Uh, just a quick intro of our panelists. We have Tim Nakashi, who is a director. Yes. <laughs> Correct? Um, Correct. He is, uh, so we wanted to construct a panel that everyone has directed commercials and does things, but everyone kind of came into commercials from a different direction. So Tim came in as a music video director. He's directed for bands such as OK Go, Maroon 5. He just did a video with Dua Lip- Lipa. Lipa? You said it. Dua Lipa and Sean Paul. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is amazing. And he's just like an amazing visual director in general. Uh, you check kind. out his stuff. TimNakashi.com. Jordan Brady, um, he has a podcast called Respect the Process. It's awesome. It's really focused on commercial directing. He's been directing commercials, I tell people, for 30 years, but I just made up that number. What's the real number? No, it's about 25 years. 25, 25 years. years. He has his own production company, Super Lounge. He, Jordan, how many, how many spots do you think you've done? I think it's 1,017. Do you really think that's the yeah, number? Yeah, I do think it's yeah. 1,017. But I count, like, of, uh, I don't count a version. I don't count the 15-second version that was lifted out of the 30-second version. And if you people do, that's bullshit. <laughs> what, what if you did? Well, you're just a liar. <laughs> so you did uh, 1,017 discrete spots, like different. Correct. That is incredible. Because I, I really hit stride in the dot-com era of the... Uh, you know, the Y2K era for a lot of you. You weren't born yet, some of you. But the people were making commercials that should not have been, right? Like websites about feng shui did not need to be making commercials. But we took their money and we made some great advertising. But that explains why every place I go into has such horrible feng shui now. Um, no commercials. But, right. But uh, Jordan, this is a true story. Last night I was making a treatment at 3 a.m. And I was just looking for a bunch of commercials to pull images from. So I just like randomly clicked on like 10 commercials that, had, that looked amazing, and I saw that you had directed them all. Uh, not, I mean, I clicked on 100 commercials, but like 10 of them were Jordan Brady commercials. Oh, I'm so flattered. Thank you. Did you use any of the images? Yeah, I used this guy from like either Honda or Chrysler, where he like picks up a tiny car. and he plays It's Toyota, but I mean, you're close. <laughs> yeah, that's why oh, commercials wow. don't work. Did you get the gig? <laughs> uh, Boom. I don't know. Uh, the, the treatment went out today, so we'll see. Um, and then we got Carlin Hudson. Uh, she is awesome in uh, a lot of different ways. She's an Austin filmmaker. She just made a short film uh, called Nice Ass that was at South by Southwest. She just directed a branded web series for Brat. She had a feature that, where did that premiere? Austin Film Festival. At Austin Film Festival. She made this amazing uh, web show. Are we still allowed to call them that? A digital, digital episodic series. series called Distance. I've about been saying streaming series. Oh, a, st- a streamer. Right. Oh, that yeah, sounds nice. good. Yeah, it sounds good, right? Yeah, and it's awesome. It, it was like her and another director. It's about a long-distance relationship where the woman is in L.A. and the man is in New York, and she directed the woman's side of the relationship, and uh, this other director directed the man's side, and then they edited it together, and it's, it's awesome. It's really genius. And she does commercials also. You just did a... Commercial for Frostburg Bank? It's just Frost Bank. Ah, Frost Bank. <laughs> Sorry. When, when the company called me, they were like, it's something called Frost Bank. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's in Austin. Yeah, yeah. It's a job I was up for, but uh, Carlin got. So. 
No, yeah. Or were you It'll up for Frostburg, maybe? <laughs> maybe it was Frostburg. Yeah, yeah. It could be. Uh, um, and then we have Matt Enlow. Hey, guys. I, uh, uh, creator of Squaresville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit web series from uh, yeah. 15 years ago. Um, cool. Well, thanks, everyone. We got Chris, one of our editors, is here also helping us out. Thanks, Chris. And our producer, Madeline. Madeline, right And our producer. Um, cool. Well, should we jump into this? Let's jump into it. Yeah. Thanks so much, everyone, for coming. We're going to hop in. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by our patrons, some of whom are here. Yeah. Thanks. Raise your hand if you're a patron. Hey, thanks, yeah. everybody. Special round of applause. Kara. We have a set of twins, and only one of them is a patron. <laughs> some twins. Um, just kidding. No pressure. Uh, cool. Should we hop into talking about commercial directing? Let's do it. Uh, we're trying to do an organized episode so we don't waste too much of your time. But let's, um, let's start with Tim. Can you tell us about how you got into, like, what your first commercial that you directed? First commercial I directed, oh, man, I wish I had thought about which one that was. Commercials sort of did happen to me, for me, they happened to me. From um, the weirdest thing, which is I, I basically got to do, shoot some pretty big spots in Poland, and I'll just make this short about how I got to do them. Basically, um, when I got to Poland and I had written a treatment that was like 30 pages long and done all the stuff that people do to really try to get a spot, uh, that's Is like a big... A, I think maybe you were on the show the last time that you were talking about this. Yeah, it was yeah. around then, yeah. exactly. Um, and basically, it was just interesting that when I was there in Poland about to shoot these spots, and I was feeling like, wow, I'm really doing it. I'm, you know, this, these, there are big spots. I'm getting paid. I'm like, you know, traveled here to Poland to do them. And uh, the, basically, the agency told me, like, they sort of pulled me aside when the client wasn't in the room and said, hey, just to let you know... Um, the client doesn't know that you haven't done a lot of commercials. Um, we kind of made a mistake. We liked your music videos a lot, and we were and we sent them around, and we were all so excited about like the OK Go video that we were like, "This guy can do it. Get him in. Get him here." And then later, the client was asking, "Well, what are the commercials that can he show? That he can do this, that, and the other?" And they realized they had to cover for me and lie basically to their own client because they hadn't done their own research. So basically. Part of my story as to how I got into commercials is that someone made a mistake. And uh, so that can happen. And I think that's like not that uncommon of a story from what, I, from what we've heard on the podcast. Yep. Um, it's just kind of make, keep making stuff and then someone will accidentally give you a job. They someone heard you're will make a terrible mistake and you'll have a job. Um, Carlin, you started out producing commercials, right? Yeah, and in Austin, after college, I was producing uh, Verizon stuff for this company, like pretty people holding phones kind of content. And uh, I just was producing so much for them, and I was seeing all these, you know, guys come in and do the directing job, and I was like, I can do that. Like, I went to film school. I'm a director. And so I told them, I was like, look, I'm going to give you... I'm, I'll give you six more months, but you have to give me a shot to direct. And they like really pushed back, but uh, eventually they, I made myself indispensable to them, and so they gave me a shot. And I honestly did a pretty bad job the first time. <laughs> it was like this really simple Dell thing, and there's two cameras, and I didn't really watch the second camera, and he was getting this like insane haircut, and the client was pissed, and I was like, fuck, well, just give me another shot. And so they did. Wow. And then I directed a bunch of these Verizon things, and then uh, I started working with some other producers in town, and there you go. That's awesome. Jordan, just as someone that's directed 1,017 commercials, 
I feel like a lot of film students, like even though I didn't go to film school, when I first started making films, I would always like frame heads, like close-ups with a haircut. And my parents would always be like, oh, why are you cutting that person's head off? And I was like, it's cinematic. Like, what's your experience in directing commercials? Like, do, does anyone ever like that as a client? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is this thing about the, what are you? you know like framing. Yeah. Sergio uh, Leone? Leone sort of close up, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, only, I, in my case, only if it's a spoof, like a, a genre piece, you would want to do a close up that matched that. If it's just someone like really loving the Pringles, maybe that's a little too close. Right. In my experience of 117 commercials. I did 1,070. I just oh, shoot... Yeah, 1,070. <laughs> what did I, I say? I'm going to stick with the 1,000. Yeah. I just shoot 8K wide shots, and then we just can figure it out in post. <laughs> I generally do that all the time. Um, cool. Uh, so, I, Jordan, actually, I want to know, how did uh, commercials happen to you? So I had done some promos, and back in a different lifetime, I was a game show host. Yeah, you can Google it. What was, which game show? It was like this ill-fated MTV <laughs> game show about music. It was like rock and roll Jeopardy, but it was horrible, right? <laughs> and and great. through that, I started doing promos for MTV and for Comedy Central. So when I, I made a feature film, and I was trying to raise money for this indie feature film, and uh, they said, we're not investing in your feature film, but do you want to do this WD-40 commercial? And I was like, yeah, I've done some promos. And I had shown the, uh, it was like a production company that's now out of business. And they didn't tell me what a conference call was. They just said, we're going to get on the phone with the client. And there were, this was before the era of treatments. Like You would do a call at 11 in the morning. And by 3.30, you would either have the job or not. And I got the job. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then I got the money to raise uh, to shoot the film. And then I was at a, a playground with my kids when they were little preschoolers. And this mom, who was her, she was the mom of a friend of my little five-year-old. She goes, Jordan, you, you would like to do commercials. I heard you just did a commercial. Well, the company I work for, they're always looking for directors. And so I met them and they signed me. It's wow. like, it has nothing to do with film school or how <laughs> shitty that first commercial was or... It, I just kind of fell into it. At a playground. <laughs> At a playground. <laughs> um, Carlin, how, how do you get commercial directing jobs? You know, mainly it's through producers that I have relationships to. I am on a roster, but I, I think just being friends with producers and knowing people at agencies, probably. Are you exclusive to that roster? No. So, and what does that mean? To not be exclusive? Yeah. Um, my name is on the production company's website with my reel and stuff, but um, I get jobs from other people too. And are you ever worried that you're going to be double pitched on a job? No. Should I be? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, if you're represented in one marketplace by right. two different people, the ad agency producer will say, I don't even get in the middle of this, and they'll toss you to the side. I just experienced well, that. That explains I've my rough that. year of, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, well, the roster I'm on is in the, the South regions, so I think that's probably, so then I, and I'm, and I work with a company out here often, but, so I guess that's why, because it's like in the South and then West. Yeah, diff different sales. Different markets, stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for what it's worth, so I'm with the famous group building in the background over here. 
Um, and they, I am exclusive with them, and they kind of made the case to, for me to go exclusive exactly for that reason. They said, if you're pitched by two different production companies, you're automatically excluded yeah, from any bad. job. And also, I think you're, like, people are afraid to pitch you again because they don't want to look stupid to the agency afterwards. You know, like, it's embarrassing for them, basically. Right. But, but I think, yeah, if you're going to be exclusive, you have to be on, like, a big enough company's roster, and the company that I'm with is, a, like, a small to mid-sized agents or company, but the famous group is, like, a bigger... I guess that makes yeah. sense, they're, right? They're pretty famous. Yeah, they're famous. Yeah. I mean, they also are really... You know, they're very director forward. Like you go to the web, their website and you see like all the work done by the directors on the roster and they are very interested in their directors having good reels, whether they produced some of the work or not. So they, they will help you make stuff even if it's not necessarily their job. And I think to me that's like a sign of a good production company is they are investing in you as a director, not necessarily only in you as like a person that brings money into that company, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say any production company that you want to sign with, if they have a job that they can't do for the money, they should hand it to you and say, run with it and bring something back for your reel. So, Jordan, speaking of money, I'm... It's never... With me, I just want to put this out there. (laughs) It is never about the money. It's about how much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, so speaking of money, I think this is a question. I mean, I have my own version for this of this answer, but since you have so much experience kind of over various eras of commercial directing, I'm curious, how much money do commercial directors make, in your opinion? Uh, you know, I, you had sent the questions ahead of time, and I wondered. And I'm just going to say it. I make $17,500 a shoot day. Other people make twenty, thirty thousand dollars shoot day. Some of you here will do a spot for five grand a day, and to me, a kid from Ohio that was on a game show, five thousand dollars is a hell of a lot of money. But if you take the time to do the call, to write the treatment, to do a follow-up call, to revise the treatment, to talk, you know, prepping your crew and then following up during post, and you break down that seventeen five. A fry captain at Wendy's makes more per hour than I make. And that is the truth. Um, I want to follow up on that because I think it's so great that you uh, said a number out loud. Do you do... um, I don't always get that. Yeah, yeah, prep prep days or um, like any post days, like not even a half day. Jordan is shaking his head for the listener. Travel days. No No travel days either. Uh, I've I've been paid for a pre-light. Uh-huh. When I don't even know what the hell I'm doing, I just walk around eating jicama with watching the DP light and like, hey, this is looking great. And I go get a Starbucks and go like, are we still pre-lighting? This is cool. Jicama? Jicama. It's a, I think it's, it's a potato-like. It's a potato-like sort of fruit. Got it. Yeah. Um, well, so I guess, and Tim and Carlin, is that your same experience in shoot days or how you're you're paid? I just wanted to make a joke. I'm like, I get 50 grand a day? No. I, yeah. um, I mean, I do non-union stuff. Do, I don't know if you do union commercials. Is yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick saying, no, no. like, that's a lot of money or anything. I just figured that's what you, you guys want to know. Yeah. That, yeah. And I mean, the listeners right now, you want to know, and you can aspire to that. And I aspire to, like, Noah Murrow gets 30 grand a day. Is the shit that good? 
I mean, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> There's just such a wide range, though, of commercials. Like, I've done commercials that are $10,000 budgets, $2,000, $100,000. Like, there's just a huge range. And I feel like normally I get 10% of the budget on non-union stuff, if that gives yeah. an idea. I think also the, the tricky thing about those numbers is um, depending on what sort of resources are amortized at the company, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you, you hear a number like $1,000. That's impossible to do unless a company has cameras and in-house editors and all, all those kind of resources, right? Or maybe it's a one-man band. Sometimes people are just, you know, doing the whole thing themselves. Right, but when so, you're doing those college humor sketches, sometimes yeah. they give you $1,000. Yeah, exactly, but it's like, I'm not paying for post, I'm not paying for VFX, I'm not paying for music even. You know, there's all sorts of things that um, make that 10% a, a more tricky number than mm-hmm. you would necessarily think off the, off the bat. Can I say one more thing? Mm-hmm. Two years ago, right, so many years into this game, I got a board from an agency that they wanted to make, like Tim's story, and not only did I do it for free, but they said, we don't have any money. And I was like, oh, so you have like 10 grand. And they go, no, we don't have any money. I go, so you got like a couple grand. They go, no, you have to pay for it. And I paid 2,500 bucks, and I gave the actors cash and called my crew, and that agency came back a year later with a job, and then the next year with another job, and it was worth the relationship, and it was really great creative. Like, the Pringle story, that script was probably the one they wanted to sell, but the client was, like, didn't have the balls to do the best script, which often happens. So I, the money, it, it really isn't the driving force. It's the real and the relationship, and the revenue will follow. Right. And, but I think the takeaway is, like, really... We hear, at least on our podcast, I'm sure you do on your podcast as well, like directors are like, I want to do features, I want to do TV, but I'm going to just try to like do some commercials to make money on the side because that, like, it's just a money thing. And it's like, it's not just, you know, just a money thing. Like, it's really hard to get to Jordan's level and to, make, to get that day rate is not something that someone that's just like doing it on the side while they're writing their indie feature is making. So um, I think the point of that question is like, it's all over the place. You can you can do really well, and you can also direct like twenty commercials a year and not make enough to pay rent. So, anyway, uh, mic drop. Um, let me ask, actually, <laughs> uh, in the crowd, how many of you are focused specifically on commercials? Not a single hand. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right, a couple, yeah, couple of you, uh, four, four maybe. Yeah, um, interesting. How many of you are doing features? Okay, maybe a quarter of the audience. Uh, and what about TV? What about serialized content? Not everyone raised their hand. You guys are cheating. <laughs> are no, you asking? How many you... of you are directors? How many, how, how many of you are? Okay. But yeah, so most people raise their hand. But I think the point is... No, I was going to say, did you mean exclusively commercial directing? Is that what you meant when you were what, asking that? I or, meant, I meant uh, focusing on it in, some, in a meaningful way, I guess. Is what I mean. Right, but how many of you want to direct commercials? So th- okay, there you go. Yeah. How many Matt of you are th- mildly interested in commercial <laughs> directing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many of you are confused as to what we're talking about? I, I will say, and this is Matt and I talk about this a lot, but that I like love commercials. I, I want to do features. I want to do a Netflix show, an HBO Lauren show, more a Marvel more movie. Commercials than any person I know. Yeah, but I have, yeah. I have a friend, Blake, who's been on the podcast, who I think most of us know, and I'll send him an amazing commercial. If I see something hilarious, like a little Caesar spot, I'll be like, dude, check this out. Like, why didn't we think of this? I mean, we never, it's not like we ever sit around thinking of commercials, but 
Um, but I love commercials, and I think that helps when you're making commercials. So. You know, we, when you meet with a company, because I made this mistake, and you tell them that you only want to do a few commercials, a production company does commercials, and you, they're looking at you like, this guy wants to make commercials, and we can make money off her, we could do this, is great. And you go, yeah, I'm writing this feature, I just want to do like three or four commercials a year. Mm -hmm. Woo! They lose all interest. Like, oh, you're not really committed to this game. And, and so it's really hard to dabble yeah. In commercials, you because you have to be a fancy pants yeah. feature director to, to dabble. Right. Right? Yeah, you if you're Scorsese, Anderson, you're Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can do a few a year. Yeah. And Orrin, when you're watching commercials, how are you watching them? Like uh, all these commercials? I I have a Spectrum cable. I watch Heard of it. And like my wife Kara, who's here in the audience. Um, <laughs> we like watch TV. We watch The Voice. We watch uh, American Ninja you watch Warrior. Television. Yeah. We watch. You also you watch iSpot. You'll send me like iSpot.tv, which is like the repository for all like current advertising, and that'll give like you know stats and all that stuff as well. Yeah. By the way, if you're an actor and you've been in a commercial, you can go to iSpot.tv and see when it aired and how many times it aired, and call your agent and tell them like you didn't get paid for airing, which my wife did, and she got paid more after she did that. So. It's like it's worth it to follow up on that stuff because I spot a cheat. paycheck. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Boom. Um, well, so Jordan, you have a commercial uh, production company, Super Lounge, mm -hmm. and you rep other directors. You have a roster of directors. We have Ben Giroux in the house, in oh, the audience. Damn. One of our directors, Ben Giroux. Thanks, Ben, for coming. Well, so how do you decide that you want to rep someone like Ben Giroux? Let's say we have some people that are just graduating film school. They've shot a couple Pringle specs. Maybe a music video for OK Go. How do you decide if they're if they're Hi, right Jordan. for your company? Tim, we should talk. <laughs> well, in in Ben's case, he had a, a a true viral hit with his Back to the '90s video, which um, at the time a mega viral hit. Ben, it how was many, like how many sixty views? million. Uh, we're at ninety-two. Now. Ni ninety-two million. Now they're views ninety-two, and he you we had worked together as an actor on a Build a Bear commercial. Tell him what I you were uh, one of Santa's elves, <laughs> which, wow. yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but he is not the typical actor auditioning for the elf commercial. And the, the other actors that traditionally, like the little people actors that typically play, that's a season for them. They were pissed that I went with just a guy who's a little bit shorter. <laughs> But it was a great, and sales skyrocketed, by the way. And so years later, Ben emails me and says, hey, I have this viral hit, and I want to get into commercials. And I was like, yeah. In Ben's case, and if you have a viral hit, use it to the best you can. And we show that piece on his reel, and agency creatives get excited that he knows what he's doing. And he may not have a, uh, at the time, you didn't have a spot spot, per se. But you, the company then says, we vouch for him. So give them a shot. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are not enough elves making commercials. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. Um, so, Carlin, you got on an, a roster in L.A. recently. You're not exclusive. But how did you get on that roster? Like, how, what, what advice would you have to in LA? get on a roster? Kind yeah. of from, from you, I guess. Oh, which roster? No, I'm not, on, I'm not on a roster. I just I work with a company a lot. Oh, which company? Oh. Sawhorse? Yeah. You can say it. It's okay. Oh. I'm like, okay. None of them are here, but it. you can say. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think I met them through you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So if you're on our podcast, (laughs) (laughs) Matt and I will occasionally, you know, we get hit up for director recommendations all the time. Um, Uh, But but I think maybe they're they're beyond just that. I think it kind of speaks just to... um, building out that network of people, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that there's every commercial job I've gotten, well, that's not true. Sometimes it's just through the agency and through the roster, but a lot of them, non-union stuff, are just like, what producers do you know? Who do you know that might be good for this kind of tone? And then, yeah. Since you're, of the everyone here, you're the newest to L.A., how did you meet us? I met y'all at a party kind of thing, right? It was like a director's group. Right, and how did you get to be part of the director's group? I got invited by another director. So, yeah. Let, so, <laughs> I think... <laughs> um, There's a secret Facebook group to join. This doesn't... Yeah, I wish. This is not great interview technique, but I think there is something interesting about uh, building a group of directors, your fellow directors, mm-hmm. um, which yep. is something that you can do. Like, I mean, you could, you're all here. You could meet people and say, like, hey, we should... I'll meet up and talk about what we're doing. This yeah, week. there's no secret recipe to that group. It's just a pizza party. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. literally true. Yeah. We but all it, go around in a circle and talk about our problems, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think you hear of writers' groups and actors' groups, but directors' groups. I'm are, in a number of, I'm in a women's director, multiple women's directors' groups, and it's great. Yeah, tell us about the format of those, because, like, I think maybe uh, a couple of them are a little more. Well, some structured. of those are, yeah, they're oh, more structured. No, it's fine. That Those, you have to, like, one called Film Fatales, you have to have made a feature to be invited, and then it's like a dinner party, and you go around and say your name, what you're working on, and there's a discussion topic, like, today we're talking about representation, and then we all go around talking about that, and then we have an ask and a give at the end, it's pretty formal. Wait, uh, explain the ask and the give. Uh, you either have a, you either get one or the other, and you say, like, I'm looking for a DP who has recommendations, and then people raise their hands, and then you go to them afterwards, or you have a give like I can read two scripts this week. Yeah, yeah that's super it is cool. cool. Yeah, that, that's better than pizza. Thank you. Wait, and to get into this group, I'm assuming you have to be female. You have to identify as a female, yes. Does your feature have to have full premiered? Time? At full time. <laughs> full time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does your feature have to have premiered at like a good festival, or is it anyone that's made a feature? Um, it has to have distrib. Actually, it is a certain. It, there's a list of qualifying festivals. Okay, cool. So you have to be, like, a legit filmmaker. We have, like, some fancier members who, you know, don't come to the meetings. But uh, <laughs> we're, like, <laughs> Catherine Hardwick's a member, but only no, met her cool. once. Does, yeah. she, does she have an ask or a give? She only gives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, cool. Well, so let's talk about reels, guys. Let's get real. Um, no one's ever said that before. Tim, what's uh, when you are... Ba- bidding on a commercial like what do you put on like what's a reel tell us about what that is you know I don't know if I really can answer that honestly because I think that uh, it's different for every project um, it seems for me I'm, I'm asked sometimes what do you have that you can show that you've made that's relevant to X, Y, or Z project for whatever reason you know so sometimes it's like oh what, are you, what have you done that's comedic or sometimes it's something really specific like what have you done that's comedic that has a dog in it, you know, or more specific than that even. But, I mean, obviously a reel is something that, that shows off your, you know, your specific, like, style if you have one that, show, that comes across in your work. Sometimes I think it's, there's some value in showing variety. Other times I, I've really seen a good 
argument for just showing like one or two things and making it seem like that was everything you've done. Sort of just your reel is only as good as the weakest thing in it. So being choosy, I think, you know, there's, there's something to it for sure. Right. I say that about actors' reels all the time. Like I'll see someone on LA casting or whatever, we're casting people, and I'll be like, oh, this, this person has a reel. And I love them. I love their audition. I love everything. And I look at their reel, and there's like two great scenes and one like horrible, horrible scene. And I'm like, no way. Or even a scene that they're like pretty good in that's very bad. You know, like the scene, like they're making it better. That's always a bummer too. Uh, but, but Tim, I want to go back to the thing you said. <laughs> oh boy, yikes. Um, <laughs> the truth you guys uh tim I, the the thing you said that is really interesting to me is like you're only as good as your the worst spot on your reel do you ever find like in the instance of like oh i need a com- comedic dog spot maybe you have something that's really funny and then something that's um not your favorite work but also features a dog um you know i feel like i'm often kind of trying to do a little bit of arithmetic for the client. Sure. And that oftentimes I'm putting maybe a thing that's not my silver bullet forth. I know. It's tough. But like, I mean, if it doesn't look good, you shouldn't show it. If it has bad sound, you shouldn't really include it. Unless, like you said, per the arithmetic, they're going to go for that. You know, that's going to be okay. It's going to fly past them. But like, usually you're aspiring to get something that's better than what you've done before and you're trying to you know, you're trying to move up. And so usually what you have done, a lot of it is irrelevant. And it's best to like, let it be out there on the internet, but not on your website. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think there's a lot of value. I mean, if you go to someone's page, some director that you like, and then you saw two really fucking awesome spots or films or whatever, you're sold. You get, you know, you're going to imagine the rest, you know, whereas if you see 12 dozen things in there, that's a lot. And, you know, of all variety and like I said bad sound this thing's rough that thing seemed like that was obviously like a spec that no one paid for and you know that it just takes takes you down quite a lot I think yeah I I have a rule with like my website you can kind of see like if someone has gone to a certain page or whatever like the analytics are pretty clear and if I ever uh, get like a pit in my stomach when someone lands on a video then I take it down you know, like if you know, like, ah, oh, shoot, like I wish they hadn't seen that one, um, then it doesn't belong on your on your website or or on your Vimeo. Like if someone can find it and you're worried about that, get yeah. rid of it. If it makes you cry when you watch it, yeah, it's yeah, maybe. Sure. <laughs> Could be good. Yeah. Um, Jordan, do you have any advice if someone is like new to commercial directing how they and they haven't ever been hired to shoot a commercial, how do they create a reel? Like well, on your Vimeo thing? page... It, nobody cares that you use the red epic. You're like everyone is not everyone. A lot of people on their Vimeo page put all the equipment and and they list the crew, which I think is nice. But I think if <laughs> to sell yourself, nobody cares. I think just put the spot and let it speak for itself. You know that from when I was on your show, I'm not a big fan of the montage mm-hmm. because the montage doesn't show that you can tell a story in 30 seconds or 15 seconds or increasingly six seconds. So that montage of all the explosions and the car chase and... Arguably, the montage does show that you can tell the story in six seconds, but, um, but, but yeah, it, go isn't on. Isn't it also more of like a reel for your DPs than for you, kind of, at that point, yeah. when you're just cutting together cool shots? Yeah. What, what's frustrating is when a sales uh, rep will put on a reel, they're like, oh, they have a spot, it's in an office. 
So here, here's spots you did in an office, but tonally, it has nothing to do with the script. Right. What's, and, a, what's a sales rep, real quick? A sales rep is a pimp. <laughs> and, and, and the sales rep pimps you. It's your, it's your agent in the commercial world. So do I need to get my own sales rep? Um, you could, but the famous group has, I'm sure, a sales rep, either independently in different regions of the country or in-house they have a sales rep, someone that is head of sales that goes out and knows about the jobs that ad agencies need to hire a director for. Okay, cool. So that, yeah. yeah. So as a director, you normally aren't worried about finding sales reps or meeting sales reps. No. And if you're starting out, you want to find the company and trust that they have good sales reps. But right. I mean, I will say to add to that, that I had a, didn't have a commercial rep of any sort, but I had a music video rep who was getting me a lot of music videos. And she was starting to get brands and approaching her about stuff. And she was acting as my sales rep for commercials and brands and like Apple, this and whatever, things that I was like, super happy to, to have. And so having a sales rep of any sort, even if it's not at a company, I think could be a good thing, honestly. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Thank you. If you were just out of film school and you're wondering, well, how do I get with a company? Uh, I would try to just uh, promote myself with the stuff that I'm making that is the best. And if it makes you cry, don't show it. And I would send that to different companies. I mean, you just got to create your own buzz. And you got to make really good shit. Like everybody's stuff looks good now, so if you're still using a 5D, it's not going to cut it, because you can get a friend that has an Alexa Mini. So your your spec and the work you're doing straight out of school has to compete now with with the OK Go video. What and camera was that shot on? Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's on his Vimeo page. Yeah. It was a shitty camera. It was like uh, seven years ago, and we didn't have any money, of course. So we shot on the Sony HVX. Wow. A Panasonic HVX? It has a or cool whatever. look. Yeah, that. It has a look. P2 cars. Yeah, P2 cars swapping. We did 120 takes with just like so many cars. It was a nightmare. Um, uh, can't you just record over the old takes? Not if you're a maniac like uh, the people in that band. Um, so how did you, if I could ask, get with the famous group? Well, it's funny you ask because the person that introduced me to the famous group is here. I did. A, I shot this parody, a mash, parody mashup. It was for Quiznos, but really we kind of threw Quiznos into the background. And we mashed up Star Wars and Entourage. We called it Star Tourage. The concept was that uh, Vince from Entourage was going to get to direct the next Star Wars because they were letting like anyone direct Star Wars. Um, and so, and he totally messed it up, right? Spent like wasted a hundred million dollars. He's way over budget. And Ari is super pissed off. The Jeremy Piven character. And so we had auditions, and we cast uh, a guy named Michonne Fagan. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yeah. Uh, we cast him as Ari, as Jeremy Piven. And uh, he was like amazing. He did like an amazing Jeremy Piven impression. He's sitting in the back over there with a hat. Um, <laughs> without a beard, he looks more like Jeremy Piven. Um, and uh, yeah, and he was awesome. It's funny because on set, I don't know if you remember this, but I felt like you were like a... A little surprise. The production seemed bigger than what you expected. It was non-union. We were paying our actors like nothing, um, and uh, and I think you were like a little upset by that. <laughs> um, and so I thought you kind of maybe hated me a little bit because maybe you felt duped. 
Um, but maybe it helped the role. Uh, yeah, so we, we really, we paid everyone else way more. <laughs> we just did that to piss you off. Because, um, you know, Ari needs the anger, the fuel. Um, but then, like, uh, you know, I think we became friends on Facebook, which, like, I know a lot of people hate Facebook, but at least for me, it's gotten me a ton of jobs just, like, posting stuff on there and building out the network. Um, and I'd posted, like, a new website or something. I went to Squarespace. Um, and uh, Michonne was like, oh, you know, I showed your... You made a dope new website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I showed... Jay Farrow I shared it on Facebook, and Michonne's like, oh, I showed it to my friend Stefan, who's also here, who's also a director and filmmaker and uh, works here at the Famous Group and helps directors get jobs. Um, and future Just Shoot It guest, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Stefan was like, yeah, come on in and meet with us. And I met with everyone at the Famous Group, and they kind of like hip-pocketed me. They got me like a Wendy's commercial like a week later, um, which I ended up not being able to do, which is uh, such a bummer. Um, but, uh, but so that's how I got with the so Famous Group. So they liked your reel. They responded yeah. to your reel. I think, yeah, I did all these like Quiznos parodies, but they were like crazy, you know, and they were like three minutes long, and uh, I did like all the VFX, all the editing, all the sound. They're super dope. They're Thanks. doper than Jay Farrow's website. Uh, <laughs> thank you. They're I've really never good. seen his website. But, but I, you know what's also cool is how when I hear you talk about the groups and Facebook and meeting people and producers you know and everything, it really is like your real is the, your commodity. And relationships are too. And I find that most of us want to help each other. So don't be afraid to reach out. And I, like, like you can email me anytime and I'll try to help if I know someone or you'll know someone. And it's like, if you don't know, if you're not right for a job, don't be afraid to go, I'm not right for this, but Ben Giroux is, and put him up for it, or put you up for it, right? Like, mm -hmm. just play it forward, as they say, or is it pay it forward or play it forward? Pay. I never got that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Direct it forward. Yeah, what direct is it? Direct it forward. forward. Direct That's a uh, podcast name. Yeah, there you go. All right. Um, but just to reiterate what Jordan's saying, like uh, the people in this room, this is an opportunity for that, right? Like part of the reason, uh, you know, we like to do a live event is so that people can meet each other, right? Like that's why we're in this space. Um, Oren's house is very nice. His living room is great. So like we can always record there. It's no problem. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Kara. Um, <laughs> so, like, the reason that we're we're doing a live event like this is so that you all can meet each other. I have a question. When you bid on a branded uh, content piece, is it three directors or is there a rule? Is it five? Does it matter? Is I it the Wild Wild West? It's kind of the Wild Wild West, right? They just kind of send like a handful of directors, but it's I mostly. I feel like we don't always know. I feel like yeah. we're putting other people up, and you're like, okay. Yeah, you can ask too. Yeah, okay. In the same oh. company, it'll be me. We'll put and up more than one. It's usually like us three yeah. Yeah, for some jobs. Yeah, but will <laughs> one company put up more than one director for the same job? Well, the sure. difference yeah. is oftentimes though that company will have already gotten the job, so that's the difference. They're not bidding against other companies; they've got it, and then they're just kind of recommending somebody. So it's a much easier way to break in. You're not pitching nearly as hard or even like worrying about treatments in that way. They typically just forward your website and say like, oh, here are a few of my favorite spots that maybe match up with what they're looking to do. Well, speaking of treatments, Carlin, can you tell us a little bit about like, uh, like, right, like what you need to include in a treatment for commercials? I think you're the first person that ever told me like, hey, I, there's like oh, a I, designer I oh, paid a hundred bucks to like just make it look nice. 
Yeah, I like a couple years ago I started just paying someone to do it for me because I'm just not I'm just not that good at Photoshop. What, I don't even know the programs. What like InDesign or InDesign, Keynote or whatever. Yeah, or sometimes the place that I'm rostered will help me with that stuff. But yeah, I'm just like fuck it. I'm just gonna pay this girl a hundred bucks and she's gonna make it look amazing. And so I'll just send her all of my images and what I wanted to say, and she just like knows the fonts to use. And I'm like, damn, looks good. <laughs> And what do you cover in a commercial treatment? Oh, look, tone, feel, mood, visual, style, all sorts of things. Cast- casting sometimes. Casting sometimes. How did you learn what you like to put in the treatment? I just like begged for other people's treatments and looked at them. So a lot of producers that I knew, I'd be like, hey, you did a Coca-Cola spot. Can I see the three directors' bids for that? And they would send them to me and be like, don't share these. And so I just started looking at a bunch of treatments and kind of figured it out. Can I tell you guys, uh, I'm telling you, Tim, one time I bid for this Budweiser commercial, and Tim was also bidding for it, uh, and I had a tiny bit of insider information, which is that I didn't see your treatment, but I knew that you had used, I was told you had used the exact same cover image as me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Um, Wow. And because I knew that and you didn't know that, I felt obligated to go change my cover image. Well, you just sat back and had a margarita. Did you see it, or did you, someone tell you that? No, someone's like, oh, you, like, I sent my treatment in. They're like, oh, Tim has the same coverage. Oh, but it was, like, a funny thing, but I was like, well, let me change that, because, um, you know. If, Who won the job, do you know? Uh, no one won the job. They decided that the job was, like, too, the budget was too big. The, the agency had pitched too big a project, and Budweiser just ended up not wanting to pay for it. But I that's just like a reality. That happens of all the time. I'm like, I, I'm shocked at how often that happens. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to believe until it's actually happened to you. But like, I think we've all shot like to completion mm-hmm. uh, an entire campaign that then just gets shelved. Oh, or you bid it, for stuff. Just the yeah, the more away. commonly, yeah, you're you're told here's a project. Would, are you available on these dates? Do you want to write a treatment? You spend days writing a 30-page treatment that covers all these things, and you've got images, and you've got fonts, and you got all the stuff, and then you're changing out your cover image because of Orin or something, and then then you're told, oh, okay, yeah, they're, they're all in. We'll, be, we'll get back in touch with you, and then a few days later, well, uh, yeah, they're still figuring out. Then a week later, you're like, well, this, surely this is not happening, and you hear, yeah, it went away. They say uh-huh. it went away. The project yep. went away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've been talking a lot about the treatment, but the other thing that kind of helps you win a job that maybe we should address is the call. And that's my favorite. That's I really the... bombed a call recently, if you oh. guys want to hear <laughs> Maybe later, but it was yeah. a disaster. But, but just to set it up, so like you'll send the treatment and then you'll kind of like get on the, the phone. It's like a conference call, like Jordan was saying. You'll kind of like, you know, talk through like what you like about it. And it's, it's more of just like an opportunity to schmooze. And um, I find I'm better at schmoozing than Photoshop. But so, Carlin, you're good at schmoozing. What happened? Oh, God. This was, I, you know, I went to Tulum a few weeks ago for my birthday. And I didn't bring my computer because I was like, I'm going to unplug. And then the last day, our friends at Sawhorse put me up for this big job. And they and I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll make it work. But I, anyways, I went to the airport. I thought, okay, I'm going to be at the Cancun airport between these two hours. I'll get on a call then. But they sent me the treatment or the agency deck, and I couldn't download it. And it wouldn't work. I just couldn't download it. And I was freaking out, like, running all over the airport trying to find Wi-Fi. So I get on the call with Ogilvy, and they were, their first thing they ask is, um, 
so yeah, what you've seen the deck? Like, what's the vision for your product? For and I was like, oh, I I, I love I love. I love the creative, and I was just, like, sweating because I was just, like, I don't know what this is. I had no idea. Had you seen the thing? No, I had seen nothing. All I knew was that I was... I knew it was, like, a school, so I talked about kids. It was just, like, a nightmare. They're, like, it's a school for dogs. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm dying, and I was, like, texting the producers, and I was, like, I am so sorry. And they were trying to tell me stuff to say. They were, like, just say you'll shoot an 8K. And I'm, like, yep, we're shooting an 8K. It's going to be... We'll be able to punch in for wow. social. It was a nice. nightmare. But that job just went away. I mean, I felt like they'll never call me again. I genuinely wonder how much you, you like is generic, like just director talk that you could recycle. You know like, what I learned. I'm going to keep the camera really active. I'm very yes, collaborative. Yes. I actually I, I heard on a panel once somebody from Pretty Bird say she was like the best question I ever heard a director ask on one of those calls is. I shouldn't even tell you guys this because you're gonna use it. But she said, um, she said, when the when the director asked, "What do you like about the project?" And so I, at the end, I'm like, totally not getting this job. But I said that, "What do you like about the project?" And it was just like this beautiful response from them. And they're like, "Well, we love this school and blah blah blah." And then at the end, I was like, "Yes, thank God, I did one thing right." So that was the one thing that I. But that job went away. The next day, I was like, "I'm so sorry. You don't have to call me again. I'm I'm an asshole." But that job just like. It went away. It went away. Yeah. I, That's why I got off the hook. I got. I have a secret question, too, that I was taught by David Kwan over here. I'm going to give it away right right now. But it's such a, a simple, obvious question that it never occurred to me. But at the end of that first call, it's asking them, like, hey, what like, what do you want to see in a treatment? What is the thing? Because some, some things the agency has, like, argued with the client for, you know, a year about. And they know this uniform has to be blue. And if you say it should be green, like, you won't mm-hmm. get the job. But, but they haven't quite figured out how they're going to shoot snow in L.A., right? So maybe, right. So, so just asking them what they want you to bring is, like, really helpful to help you figure out what to focus on. I concur. <laughs> that is a great question to ask at the end. What do you want to see in the treatment? One time last year, the agency has now mimicked our treatments. And the agency has a whole department that photoshops, and they have a whole... Like a, a bin full of fonts. Yeah, you're like, things why, like why a, am I wasting half a day working on this? I thing? told him, I go, I can't, I'm not going to Photoshop the electric turkey knife cutting down the redwood. You've already done it. I'm going to paste your picture back in my treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got the job. Wow. <laughs> and here's a, a good opener you guys should use. And by guys, I mean ladies, gentlemen, everybody. Just say, hey, these. These scripts direct themselves. What do you need me for? Uh, I, I implore you all to open with that. Really? As a, <laughs> a little Jedi yeah. defense on I'm, my part. I maybe have told this on the podcast, but my like conference call joke is um, like, "Oh, I'm so excited to do this. Uh, 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 this is my first directing job. I'm so excited." <laughs> and it kills with them every time. They're like, "Oh yeah. man, that's so wonderful." That's so wonderful. <laughs> you know what's funny? Really land. The first commercial that I did with the production company, I, there was a stand-up comedian who I'd worked with on the road who was like a big headliner. And he was auditioning, and I brought him to the callbacks. And he started doing the bit, and he goes, he stopped in the middle of the audition and goes, Jordan, what are you doing here? And I go, I'm the director, Paul. Keep going. You're doing great at this callback for the commercial I'm directing. 
And he goes, oh, wow. And he starts doing it. He literally stopped a second time. He goes, no, seriously, what are you doing here? <laughs> and the agency guys are looking at me like, holy shit, we hired a guy that doesn't really direct. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. True story. Um, yeah, but about this, like, first call with the agency and all this stuff, right? I mean, so okay, so just imagine, let's imagine you've managed to... Your reel has allowed you to have a phone call with this agency who wants to make some spot. It's branded content. It's a big thing on TV or somewhere in between. It's, it's a documentary that you're getting paid nothing to make or whatever it is. So, like, at that moment, hopefully you've been sent a creative brief that where they're pretty much pitching you the project. Sometimes they're sending you a storyboard. And they know what they want for every second okay. of a 30 second spot other times it's just a bunch of words on pages and it's very poetic and you feel like it could go anywhere but so like yeah i mean it is a real question like okay so what's going to happen is they're going to you're quickly going to get on this call and it's just going to and you're going to be told how many eight people are on this call and then it's going to go dead and it's going to be sort of like no one's even going to really say okay uh Oren, take it away necessarily it's just time for you to take it away and start talking. And so it's it's a little nerve-wracking mm -hmm. and cuz there's this like a lot of noise from various places where people are on conference in conference rooms and there's just like a lot of noise. One guy's on in. a train or someone's and, on a train and they're on mute too so they can't laugh at your jokes either. <laughs> yeah. Some some people are on mute and so there's a lot of time where you're they talking. Would be, you start talking and you make your comment about being a first-time director, and it takes about eight seconds for anybody to laugh. Sure, yeah, yeah. And it, that's just the beginning. But then it's sort of the question is, okay, so how are you going to talk about the creative of this spot? Yeah. Or whatever. And I think opening with a personal anecdote is nice too, though, mm -hmm. right? Like you can kind of warm them up. You take their temperature a little, like, oh, where are we shooting? Or like, oh, I, I shot here yeah. before. Or like, I'm from this I mean, place. I think that's or, interesting. Here's how I relate to it. I have never done that. And I've never made a joke or whatever. I think oh. that's a great idea. I've never done it. <laughs> I've literally started, and I just did this recently on two things, where I was on calls, and I was like, really excited about these projects. And I basically said, well, because um, they, they really were like at weird hours, and I was very much made aware that people are in different time zones, and they're coming off of this thing, and they're just checking into their hotel, and in another country, you know, in Singapore, and you're gonna, they're gonna want to hear what you think right away, just jump right into it. But they said, go ahead and say, should I get started, or do you want to tell me some things first? Mm, and they right. seemed to kind of appreciate that. But maybe I should have made it, told it, warmed them up a little bit. Well, but we anyway, should also specify, though, though, Tim, you go out for things that are much more like stylish and cool. Like, I'm just like, yeah, dumb, dumb joke guy. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll take that compliment, I think. Uh, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I mean, I don't know. Does that mean that I get, I have a different assignment when it comes to these conversations? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you kind of have to, they, they want to know you're funny, right, Jordan? Right. Like, well, as a like, dumb comedy guy, yeah. yeah. They want to yeah. know. But we, we, if you're with a... Not too uh, funny, but funny enough. Hopefully you have an executive producer on the phone with you who can set it up quickly and also... We preach for the directors to go through an exploratory phase where you want them, like the agency will tell you the answers to the quiz. If you say, hey, can you guys just walk me through this? But I have actually said, what is it about, what reel did you see? Because I don't think I'm right for this. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Like, and that got a big laugh. Oh, good. Okay. From the guy on the train. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, basically, like what did I've done is, um, 
So if you get the storyboard and you're like, okay, wide shot, and they push in, and there's the product, and it feels a little bit like this is all mapped out. It's, it feels so strange, but but it's not. I mean, they want you to they want to know how you're going to turn this into a short film and how you're going to make it cinematic or funny or how this is going to have impact, how that's going to be new, how that's going to be the same as they always do it. I've never and, heard of anyone pitching the storyboard as is getting the job. If you didn't at least sprinkle little herbs and spices, you're not going to get the job. And, and for me, I guess, and this also applies to music videos, like when talking about what I would make, what I do, if you're asking, is I basically, you know, I imagine like the movie, I like make my notes, and then I imagine that I, before the phone call, like what it's going to involve for me to explain it to these people. If it's going to take 15 minutes, I'll literally write kind of, like bullet points that I'm going to cover. This is going to be cinematic. This is important. This is going to be the camera's going to move here. This is this color is important. The product is important or the band. This is the close up. This is the beauty shot. This is like I'm going to just talk about every like last point. And they're going to know by the end of this time that I really gave a shit and like I really wanted it to be good and like I have a vision because if you're obsessed, you will probably get considered for the job, right? I think that's true. They want you to be obsessed. I mean, and here's a practical tip. I print out the board before I read it on my phone. I'll wait because I want to have that first impression down on paper. And I think you're saying the same thing, Tim. I have like my notebook, the script, different colored markers, and all the points I want to hit. Right. And if something's bombing, I'll cross it off because I'm not going to put it in the treatment. Things that yeah. stick, I circle and go, okay, I, I actually use different colored markers for the call than I do when I vomit on the page the first time I see it. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I and do it think, helps the shape what I got to write. I mean, I think the phone call really is everything because they kind of want to know if they want to hang out with you and make right. this thing. And you you do have to sound like you really bring talent, but you also have to not sound like a jerk. And so to a degree, you're basically making a 20 minute presentation. And that's why it's such a bummer when you lose a job because you you've like hyped yourself up and like convinced yourself to get passionate about something. Yes. Um, because so if you're not passionate, they can tell. Um, but I want, just because I know a lot of people here aren't repped at production companies, I want to kind of say that even though we're talking about the call and the treatment and commercials and agencies, like this kind of, I think, applies to everything. Like when Carlin's pitching on an uh, episodic streamer, um, you know, mm-hmm. she, like they can tell when you meet them. If your friend has written an awesome short film that you love and you want to direct, like you need to be like, hey, Look at th- these images I just like randomly, you know, found that reminded me of your short film. Or you have a friend in like the plain white tees, and you want to direct their music video. Like, the, I, the, the, this is commercials, and there's like a lot of money writing on this, and so there's like big pressure. But I think this applies to everything, whether you're making nice ass, you know, which is the, Carlin's short, and you're trying to get this ass costume for free or whatever or whether you're making like a Marvel film, yeah. like I mean, it all applies. People talk about vision, and we talk about it on the show sometimes, like what does that mean? And I think it really, you're just trying to communicate passion and confidence. You know, that's kind of what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it really, directing overall is a confidence game. You have to be decisive, confident in your decision, and yes, collaborate and all that bullshit, but. <laughs> you really have to like have a take and not suck at it. Yeah, and I, th- a phrase. I think in contemporary times, like nowadays, like passion is way more important than like the the asshole brand of confidence seems to have yeah, gone out of mode. And uh, now it's like just being really excited about something. 
There was a, I, I was just reminded when we were talking about what real people see. A friend was saying that he was up for uh, a strawberry, a tabletop shoot to shoot strawberries. And he had, Marcus, I think you were there when the, my friend Marcus, I may have, is here tonight. He may have heard the story. And the guy says, yeah, I was up for the strawberry shoot, but I only had blueberries. <laughs> and he didn't get the job. They I mean, they're very different berries. Blueberry. They're totally different. Different texture, the different tone. So it can be disheartening, but uh, stick it out. Um, well, I think maybe we should wrap it up soon, maybe uh, do just like five to ten minutes of questions from the audience. But before we get there, let's just... Uh, Carlin, can you just give us some... Uh, I'll just have everyone give some closing advice. If you were just starting to get into commercials right now, like what would you do? Yeah, I actually, after the Verizon stuff... Mo a, a, a large chunk of my reel is from this company called Court Furniture, and I happened to know my sister was friend was dating the guy who ran their marketing department. So it was when he had like seen my stuff on Facebook, and so he reached out to me. And actually, Ogilvy was their agency, and he was like, "We hate what they send us. Will you just send us some ideas?" And I did like twenty spots for them, and so you know, twenty spots at least. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, minimum. Yeah. All, and, Counting like, docu-stuff. A lot of cut... Not including <laughs> cut-downs. Can um, you send me those spots? I have a production company. Yes. Please do. I will. Um, and, but that was just from a personal relationship. And he was... And he told me to come into the office. And I did not know that I was going to be pitching furniture commercials on the spot. But I was like, yeah, I've got some ideas. And I had some really bad ideas and some okay ones. But, uh, yeah, that was, like, a three-year relationship with just a guy at a company in the marketing department. So it doesn't always have to be through agencies and, and all that stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Jordan, any quick advice? I just want to say that I would direct commercials that sold cigarettes to babies <laughs> if they paid me enough. <laughs> I am a whore when it comes to work. If anybody's listening, I will make your commercial. <laughs> I think we have heard... <laughs> Thank you. I think we've heard it's a lot about relationships. Uh, it's always about your reel. And if I were a director starting out, I would probably go to commercialdirectingbootcamp.com <laughs> to see if there was a one-day seminar on the things that Jordan Brady has talked about on this show. Commercialdirectingbootcamp.com is my shameless plug. But I would just say really become obsessed with whatever project you're shooting. Like... Be crazy, and, and don't be that way when you're with your, you know, friends and family. But when you're working, be right because you're, you're a yeah, dick. Right? That's you're, true. Be be obsessed with whatever it is, whether it's a student film or a branded piece or whatever. Just that's the joy of being a filmmaker is we get to be obsessed. Great. Yeah. So you don't have to shoot a spec commercial. You can do what Ben Giroux do, did and just get like 92 million views on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of paths. If you'd asked me like eight years ago, six years ago, what I would have made first, I would have said something like kind of a show, show your visual strength with what you're making, maybe a visual gimmick, make something really artful. But uh, I feel like right now it's like a time when people are really excited about um, a, a voice of a filmmaker as it relates to like current events, social issues, and identity and maybe even a, about oneself and I, I think it's like an exciting time to like pick up a camera and turn 
take like a sort of a documentary approach to that you could turn into a hybrid of any sort and for any reason. And I think, you know, I would basically say like making art of any sort while you can is a, a good way to get into music videos and commercials. I mean, that's just my two cents, but. Yeah, Tim, I, I, we, we sat down together like about eight months ago and I was like, I want to do music videos. Um, and you gave me some really good advice I promise I'm going to follow through on eventually. And that's basically uh, just like making cool art projects is the thing to do. And I think the thing to remind people is that like all of the people who are working in advertising have great taste and want to do cool stuff. And they, they are jealous that you just get to go make the cool, weird art project for fun, right? Like, that's the thing they wish they could be selling to their clients or whomever, but they get stymied because they're selling uh, cigarettes to babies or, or whatever the product is. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So uh, let's open it up to our audience. Anyone have any questions? Hey, this okay. one's for Jordan. Um, just kind of curious what the balance of um, being a director and owning a production company that... You, whose roster you're also on looks like. Do you produce commercials that you also direct? Are you finding that you have to split your time between glad handing you know, agency and client on the shoot day and directing? What is, how does that all work? Actually, I'm very hands-off as a, a partner in a company. I'm a director and I, I stand up for the directors with just the way the company runs. Like I told my partners when we started, we should not rep anybody outside the United States because we'll never get them work. Let the directors get their own Canadian or Polish representation. Uh, if I know a director is right, I'll make a call if I know someone. I've gotten director's jobs because I had a relationship with the agency. So, but beyond that, no. Or I'll talk to uh, someone that's new. I'll say, hey, if you wanna talk about the script, fine. But I, I don't produce. I don't even produce my own shit. I don't even know the budgets of some of the stuff I do. I don't care about the lunch truck and when things arrive. Like, I don't wear a watch. I don't look at the schedule. Because I think it would, it would, I have a small bucket for a brain and it would overflow if I had to produce. My hat is off to EPs and producers and, and things like that. Cool. Okay, so uh, assume that I had a few bucks in my pocket and I wanted to do a spec. Should I do something that's kind of new form or like that 90 seconds to five minutes range where most of the work is? Or should I do like a 15, 30, 60 spot, which is where kind of the better work is? You know, where should I put my energy? Tim? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I would I'd open up to everybody. But I mean, I would lean towards unless that's you have like a really like incredible idea for, for a 30 second. I would wouldn't lock yourself to that because I do think something falling short in 30 seconds isn't all that. It feels to me like less versatile, whereas something that's a minute long or three minutes long, like, you know, people can see more in that potentially. It just sort of depends on the idea, I think. I, I would agree, but with the caveat that um, it's really handy to know exactly how long 30 seconds is and how long 15 seconds is, because it's a really hard thing to internalize, you know, um, until you've done it a few times. And so when you're really, like even just shooting like an iPhone spec or something like that could get you there, but like knowing how hard it is to economically tell a story in that uh, runtime is a skill that like you want to have before you're getting paid to do it. Yeah, my general rule is just like, 
It doesn't matter how long it is as long as no one's ever bored. We had Tony Ascenda on the podcast a couple of times. He's created American Vandal, but before that he did this video uh, for Little Dicky, this rapper called uh, Save That Money, where he made this entire music video where they have, you know, they're on yachts and they're driving like Lamborghinis. And he, the goal was, let's make this music video without any money. Um, and the cut, I think, is eight minutes long. The first, like, three minutes are kind of like a behind-the-scenes video of him, like, ringing the doorbells of different mansions. And, like, he showed me that cut. I would have told him to trim it down and been wrong. Yeah, and, um, and everyone was like, eight minutes. This needs to be three minutes. It's a music video. And, I mean, I think it has, like, 150 million views yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, it's, it's like Benjaroo numbers, for sure. Um, <laughs> it's insane and it, because it's interesting. Like, you start watching it, and you're like, oh, I wonder if someone's going to let him shoot you know, in their mansion. He told us this really funny story. I think the Lamborghini deal- dealership was the first dealership they went to, and they said yes, and because that wasn't good for the story, they went to a few other dealerships to try to get a no first so that to build up the tension. So the good storytelling works, but, but don't make a 30-second commercial that's a minute and a half long because people will not watch the whole thing. Don't make a commercial that's not the brand message. Like, don't write something that an ad agency has spent years cultivating like a, a message for a brand. So instead of a, like a, a Coors Light Spot, if you did a Tecante, you'll fool people because they don't really know what the Tecante brand message is, right? So pick a, a smaller brand versus, you know, it's not going to be a, you're not going to do a Pepsi spot. Right. We know what a Nike spot looks like. Yeah, everyone knows what a Nike spot looks like. And it'd be better to go for like, Puma. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, By the way, Puma, funny word. Funny word. Hard P. Lululemon. Ooh, yeah. yeah, this is kind of a continuation of that question a little bit. Um, say you make your spec spot and it's not like a mainstream brand. Um, do you just put it on the internet, hope they see you? Do you send it directly to that brand or do you send it to advertising agencies? What's the process for getting it in the hands and in front of these people? Because when it comes to feature scripts, or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> you do not want to just send it out like that because it can sometimes be very bad. So I'm curious what the protocol is. Yeah, I mean, I would say yes to all of those things, minus worrying about sending it to the brand. Because that, I mean, you can if you want. And you hear stories one in a million times, like someone shoots like a spec Skittle spot and Skittles loves it and they buy it from you, you know? but. I think just put it on Facebook, send it to your friends. I mean, there's a huge, nobody wants to read a feature script, right? Um, but people will watch your 60 second commercial. So yeah. put it on Facebook, show it to everyone. There's like you know, no, no harm. I think, I think the thing about a spec that's maybe misleading is that it's not like you shoot a spec and then here I am at RSA now. Like sometimes that happens, but for the most part, it's more like Carlin's path where it's like, now you can go to the companies that you're working with and the producers that you're friends with and um, show them that you can do it, and they'll be the ones that give you the spot. Yeah, and various rosters that I've been on, I've met with those people, and they very nicely said, no, you're not ready. And then I would just keep in touch with them, and every year or six months, I'd be like, here are two new things that I've done. Here are three new things. And then two years later, they finally said yes. That's a great point, because if you go to the marketplace with one spec spot, and it's killer, someone is going to go, that's great. What else you got? Like, it'd be better to wait until you had three and then go to a company and say, hey, I have these three. Because the sales rep, like the pimp that we were talking about, is going to show an agency and they're going to go, that Takante spot is awesome. 
Is there anything else? We can't show our client one spot. There's a feature script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an adaptation of a Tecate spot. Um, cool, let's take two more questions. I also just wanted to shout out to my manager, Jacob Perlin, anonymous content in the back over here. You need a manager, go talk to him. Hi, so this question is for Jacob. Do you want to represent me? <laughs> uh, no, it, well, it might be later. Uh, so I actually did just make a series of spec spots, um, and they came out two and a half weeks ago, and I didn't know how to get people to watch them, so I pretended that they were real spots from Twitter, and I sent out some press releases to people that have been writing articles about Twitter, and they started tweeting about, well, the people, Twitter didn't like it, uh, surprisingly, uh, but these people um, were posting and asking like Twitter, did you guys really make this? Is this new campaign? I made like a companion website and these social media channels and it got on AdAge and CNN and people were writing about it. Um, and that was great, but now I have this thing which like got national attention, but I don't have, like I don't know who to go to and say, hey, so I made this thing. Look, I convinced a bunch of people that I made a national ad campaign for $1,300. Uh, can, do you want to hire me for a job that's more than $1,300 that I'm not paying for? So to all of you out there, uh, I mean, mostly you guys just on the panel, I guess this is for, uh, <laughs> what is your advice about next steps that I should be taking? But if listeners at home, if you have advice for Nathan, you can tweet <laughs> <laughs> Hey, one, one serious spot. consideration would be that, that didn't exist a couple years ago is an in-house director at an ad agency's production arm. I mean, if I think an ad agency would love that you got into ad age and pulled this prank off. I mean, I've lived for years wanting to get a cease and desist from Kellogg's or something like that for doing. I mean, it's subversive is what you did, and that's great. Yeah, it goes back to the thing that we were talking before about how, you know, creatives want to do the thing that you did, right? Um, but get, you know, waylaid because of brand restrictions, but I think it still kind of amounts to the thing we were just talking about, right? Where now you've got these great specs and you can go to smaller companies that you have relationships with or you can build relationships with and they'll appreciate that heat a little bit more than your mega companies. Yeah, and I just think it's important to note, and we all know this, um, but you just can't expect one thing to bust open all the doors. Like, you just have to keep making things and, and it's, it's I'm sure you have, but I just can't tell you how many times I directed something that I was like, this is it. And then it wasn't. And then I make another thing. So it's just, you know, now you have this thing in your arsenal, and then you have something to go back. You know, you can show them that, and then your next thing. And it's kind of a waiting game, I'm afraid. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, sure. And that heartbeat is super important. Like, to answer your, your joke question about getting Jacob to represent you, the way I got him is I had made this Quiznos parody of Burning Man, and we got sued by Burning Man, and it was all over the news. And my friend Ken, and Ken had written it with me. And Ken knew some managers at Anonymous Content. And he had emailed them like on our behalf. And he's like, look, we got all this press. We're insane. Burning Man's trying to sue us. And they don't even like believe in lawyers or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then and they didn't. They're like, congratulations. Um, and it didn't really, nothing came of it. And then later on when Jacob had reached out to me because there was a project that my, some of my work seemed right for, he had heard about me through Ken, you know, because he had like contacted some people in Anonymous and met some people. So but it's like it send it to all those later. people. Yeah. Right. And yeah. even if nothing happens now, it's like you're planting seeds for the future. You know, right. yeah. next time you run into someone, they're like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that did the Twitter stuff. 
Yeah. So it's the most frustrating advice, but you won't know what's going to pay off until probably years later. Yeah. Right. So let's take one more question, and then we'll all be hanging out here um, afterwards. My, my follow-up, though, my last thing I was going to add was it's definitely when you're cold, cold approaching, like, production companies doesn't really work very well. Like, having someone else hype for you is much better if you can find figure out how to do that. Or just fake another one, just like you faked your uh, your press release or something. Can I add one thing? It's yes. going to sound like a blatant plug, because <laughs> it is. But <laughs> so I, I do a podcast. It's specifically about commercials, called Respect the Process. It's on iTunes or wherever uh, you do your podcasting. The episode that drops right now, today, today, and I told people to come to this. But I don't think anybody heard it yet because it was like two hours before it started. <laughs> but the uh, director, Toby Waskow, he made a spec for BMW knowing he knew somebody at BMW. Hmm. And BMW actually picked it up. They didn't pay him, but they put it on their website. And then the agency that reps BMW, that has the, the agency of record, hired him to do the in-house thing. And he shot for a year all this Foot Locker stuff. And as he was walking out the door after a year of being an in-house director, like I imagine him with the cardboard box with a plant sticking out of it, they said, wait, we have one more, and we'll hire you freelance. And it was this epic like Nike Foot Locker thing that aired during the NBA Finals, and it, it launched his career. But he retrofitted his spec spot based on who he knew could watch it at BMW. And I think that's pretty, pretty dope. That's awesome. Um, Michelle? Respect the process is the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so since I'm an actor, I'm going to ask a question from an actor's standpoint. One of the things I've liked about working on film and television is that it's really clear who's in charge. And when I want to work on something, moment or whatever, I go to the director and he's in charge. And that's a comforting thing for me as an actor. And something I found annoying in working in commercials, especially lately, is that that is that I guess I'll call it a dictatorial nature is kind of lost it's been watered down and I get the impression that because there's so much improv in commercials directors are a little bit scared to step on those those like unexpected moments but that can be annoying because I still want to be told what's needed that Oren you didn't do that you were great about being a collaborator but also being in charge of being the guy that I went to how do you guys toe the line of like being in charge and also leaving room for your actors because we still want to know that who to go to and, and who to work with and that you're in, you, you know, you have that power. It's, it's a good feeling. Carlin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to uh, pass. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. jump in. I, I think uh, the, you're, the director is always the person that you're going to go to as an actor to to get your feedback. Uh, the truth is that they are not really in charge on a commercial shoot, and that's the problem, right? Like, that's the, the thing that maybe you're sensing, separate from improv being maybe too loosey-goosey, which I think we're all probably a little uh, guilty of, me probably most of all. Um, but that's a separate thing than, like, you know, them going back to the client monitors, and, like, you can tell they're whispering, and, like, somebody's trying to tell them how to tell the joke the way they saw it or the way they wrote it or whatever. And that's because there's literally a whole 
gaggle of people who have been on their phones most of the time, but then you know look up to tell you you're doing your job wrong. Um, yeah, and a cool director's tip, since we have a lot of directors here, if you're going to do another take, tell your actors why. The camera's out of focus, the dolly messed up, you want just to do another one for safety. You something. should also just talk to your AC and be like, hey, I'm going to blame some stuff on you. Because they hate it when you say that. Yeah, I found that out the yeah, hard they way. they hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to throw you under the bus. I know you're doing a great job. You're, you know, do that first. You yeah. always think of that when I'm lying, basically. Right. And if the director, if you are an actor and the director comes up to you and is like, can you just like smile more? Like it means they don't think that, but the, someone at the agency told them to tell you that. You know, so it's like, I, I think, you know, we, we try to be as in charge as we can be, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of voices to please. And sometimes the agency knows what the client wants a lot yeah. more than the director. Most does. of the time they're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, okay, final, final one from my wife, Kara Lewis Kaplan. Uh, also usually, an actress. Yes. Check her out, karalewis.com. I'm glad that you just uh, gave a question for actors because I'm an actor and I'm usually um, locked up in my bedroom eating Thai food when they're doing uh, the podcast in our living room. So I'm glad to have this public forum um, <laughs> to, to this question. So I am an actor. I'm a union actor. And I have had the great opportunity over the past couple years to make a living by doing commercials. And then I get to do those tiny little theatrical or 100 a day roles that I love so much because I'm making my salary by doing union commercials. Now what's happening, I also work here and there in casting, is the frequency of union commercials is basically nil. The busiest casting directors that usually have 15, 16 jobs queued up union commercials now have two. So many casting directors are not working, and I'm familiar enough that I've asked them what's going on. And they said, hey, they're all non-union. So I want to know, on your sets, does it make a difference to you if you have union talent or non-union talent? And is there anything that you do when you are pitched a project from a production company or however you get it where you can ask to use union talent? Do you have any say in that? I think actors are just wondering... Where do we go? What do we do? How do we get this back in our favor? Because let's face it, without the actors, unless you're shooting strawberries, you probably don't have a career. That is a great question. And I will say, uh, like, my company is union. I'm in the Directors Guild. We hire IATSE crews. And a lot of times it comes down to the client or if the ad agency is a signatory of SAG. And if an agency asks me, I always, I mean 100% of the time, say, we will work better and make a better commercial with SAG actors. We will we will, we'll get more time capturing a variety of performances. And I'm someone who is in charge on set, and I say cut, and I also think range is overrated. I think in a commercial, you get what the actor did at the callback, and if you try to stray too much, like, but I will say, we really should use SAG talent. Sometimes it's, it's not a choice because they, they don't have the budget, the client doesn't want to pay the residuals. Multi-international, uh, are, are they really multi-international? I think that's redundant. Multinational. <laughs> Multinational, that's what it is, thank you. I'm not a word guy. Uh, they will go to, uh, out of the country because they have to run the spot in several languages. You know, that's why they go overseas so they don't have to pay the residuals. The, 
we're being hired to execute that. We don't have a say in that. They're not going to pay SAG and then shoot in South Africa. But for the majority of the commercials in the States, I think any director worth her salt would want to work with SAG talent. For me, since I don't produce anymore, it's kind of confusing the SAG and not and non-union. So I'm just I, I I just go to the producers and I'm like, if they're cool with it, she can do it or he can do it, right? And they usually say yes. So I don't know. I, I kind I don't totally understand the rules, but from my point of view, I, I'm happy to work with whoever's the best, which often is union people. I mean, obviously. Karen knows my opinion. I mean, to me, if it's a SAG job, I consider it like an awesome job. And if it's a non-SAG job, I'm like really bummed about it. And I always ask the agency, I was like, you know, like, is there any reason we're not going SAG? A lot of times, like I just got this deck yesterday. It was like a casting deck from the agency. And had a picture of Brian Husky in there. He's an actor. He's done a lot of college humor stuff. Matt's worked with him a lot. He's hilarious. He's on a lot of TV shows. And like, if we were SAG, we could literally go to the guy in your deck and a- offer him the job. Yeah. And there's a good chance he would say yes. But because he's, you know, we're not union, we got to go to someone that just moved to LA like two years ago right. and, you know, hope that they're like some prodigy. Hey, there, there's something I want to uh, tell you young next generation of filmmakers, whether it's SAG or non-union. As we grow in diversity in our culture. So we owe it to ourselves to audition people from underrepresented populations for roles that traditionally wouldn't be. And we're seeing it happen in TV and movies and stuff. So you as the filmmaker in the casting room, give someone who's new a greener actor, give them a second or third or fourth take at the callback or at your audition. Because maybe he or she, like, If I see someone, like a Latina comes in for a role and I can tell she doesn't get as many callbacks as Blondie who comes in all the time, give that actor a couple of extra shots. Maybe they won't get the part for your bit, but they'll have confidence and they'll have experience. So the next time they get a callback, it's not freaking them out in the car on the way over and they, you're setting them up for success, whether it's for your job or another one. And you all are in charge of that. I'm an old white guy. I'm out. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, awesome. thanks so much. I think thanks, we're going to skip our unpaid endorsements. Yeah, um, cool. Well, thanks, well, thanks everyone. Thanks, Thank everyone. you. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. Everyone. Thanks to our guests. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. Social media, Just Shoot a Pod. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. <laughs> Produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Uh, all of you were here. That was really wonderful. Our... Uh, our webmaster. Webmasters, Ewan Williams. Uh, you can tweet at me at Mr. Medello. And me at Smitty Pileg. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. We will catch you next time. Hey, thanks to the famous group. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing.